Amen. Well, this morning I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 19. It's a little bit of a chaotic uh, passage in the book of Acts. Uh, The whole chapter is kind of crazy. Uh, We would make a sort of B-rated horror film out of it today if uh, some guys got a hold of it because it's that kind of crazy. And and the setting uh, for Acts chapter, I don't know if I said 18 or 19, I meant 19, so if I didn't say that, 19 is where you need to be. Uh, In Acts chapter 19, Paul uh, is back in Ephesus. He's made kind of this giant journey where he was in Ephesus and then he left and he went along the Aegean Sea back to Israel and Syria and then made his way kind of through what is now modern day Turkey uh, all the way back to Ephesus, which is on the coast uh, of Turkey. Uh, on the Mediterranean, a G and C, where they come together. And so Acts 19 is after he's had that giant journey uh, across uh, much of what today is known as Asia Minor, and that's what it was known as back then. Today we call that Syria, Turkey, and Israel. Uh, and, And so here he is back in Ephesus, And he finds himself in Ephesus, and one of the great things about Ephesus is that it's full of of history, both Christian uh, and pagan history. And much of the ruins, if you were here over the last few weeks, you saw a few photos uh, of Ephesus, uh, because I happened to be there a few months ago, and you're going to see another one today. Uh, The Temple of Artemis uh, is in Ephesus, uh, and there it is. Man, that's breathtaking, isn't it? It's amazing. Uh, That's what's left of the Temple of Artemis. It's actually one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, but you wouldn't know it by that. But I want you to imagine, if you could, in your mind's eye, to think about uh, those columns, those colonnades stretching to the size of six of our sanctuaries. Six of these, sort of lined three and three. It would take up nearly the entire block that we sit on right here, from Heritage to Shadow Bend, from Pecan to Morningside. And so this giant temple devoted to a little G-God, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, and that's all that's left. And it's pretty funny when you drive up to it, there's, there's a small little sign that says Temple of Artemis, and you get there and you can see it's not very well kept. It's thousands of years old, and they just sort of, it just sort of sits there. It's crazy how everywhere you turn in that part of the world is something that's two to 4,000 years old, and they're like, oh, hey, here you go. Uh, but that's it, Temple of Artemis. So Paul comes back to Ephesus in this midst of sort of this huge economic machine of a city, a city that's devoted, uh, like other ancient cities, to the worship of many gods. And and here he finds himself at the beginning of 19, and so let's read uh, what happens. And it happened that while Apollos, uh, his friend in ministry from Egypt, uh, is in Corinth, Paul passes through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he had found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Now remember, that's John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, 
telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, and that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And then he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, the way was the name of the early Christians. When they were speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. We're going to pause there for a moment. So Paul makes it back to Ephesus, and he encounters some believers. We'll kind of put that in air quotes. Uh, some people who had followed John the baptizer. Um, the problem is uh, they didn't even know who the Holy Spirit was. The Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he. It's part of our Godhead, the, the Trinity. We serve a, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God represented three ways. And so he explains to them that their baptism, a baptism of repentance, a, a confession of sin, so to speak, and we're going to get back to that in a moment at the end of our time today about what confession is really all about. But, but he says this baptism you had was a baptism of confession of sins. You want to sort of turn and, and live life better in anticipation of the one who can actually forgive your sins. Jesus, the Christ, the Holy One of God. And so they don't know who the Holy Spirit is. They, they don't really understand salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. And so Paul explains it to them, that, that Jesus is the one. He's the Messiah, the Holy One of God. And so after that explanation, these 12 men, probably plus some other folks, and some women and maybe some young adults, who knows, but more than 12 probably, he explains all of that to them. They place their faith in Jesus and then they were baptized. It's the only spot in the scripture where we see rebaptism happen. And so here you have this moment where these folks come to understand the power of God. And then Paul lays his hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes upon them like God indwells in them like he promises all of us. Now the book of Acts is a, is a unique book in the history of Christianity. It is the launching point for the church. It's how the church begins its worldwide movement. And, and so we have to be careful as sort of modern believers to impose some hard and fast rules about how God moves among his people by looking at Acts. Because in that book of Acts alone, the Holy Spirit comes upon people at salvation, at their baptism, and at the laying on of hands, all three ways the Spirit of God dwells in people. Because it was a unique time in the history of God's story of, of interacting with humanity. And so in this unique moment, Paul lays his hands on these people, and the Spirit of God comes upon them, and they begin teaching and prophesying. They begin speaking in different tongues, different languages. And all over that region, 
the word of God is proclaimed. It's, it's amazing what happened. It's a miraculous moment. And so I want you to think for a moment. Like today, Levi will never forget this day, I hope, that he got to share publicly what it means to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in front of 250 people in the room and, you know, millions more online. <laughs> but I want you to think about your baptism. Because today, 34 years ago, today, I was baptized as a freshman in college. And I, too, got baptized in front of about 250 people. And so think about the day you were baptized, the day you publicly declared your faith. And if you have never been baptized, I want to challenge you in this moment, a little side note here. Not because Levi got baptized, not because I got baptized, but because Jesus Christ calls us to follow him in baptism by identifying with him publicly. Baptism is our first real public profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. So if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, let me encourage you to identify with him through baptism. So may this be your little nudge to say, I, I want, I don't just need to get baptized. I want to get baptized so I can identify with Jesus Christ, my Savior. So I want you to think about your baptism and how many people were there that day. For some of you, it might have been in a river or a creek somewhere and at a camp. Some of you, it may have been uh, in a small church or a backyard. Some of you may have been in a setting like this in a church with a few hundred people. Some of you, maybe you got baptized at a, at a mega church and there were two or 3,000 people there watching uh, you be baptized. But a friend of mine this week reminded me uh, of this fact, that for most people, the only time we publicly share our faith is in our baptism. The only time we actually tell people about Jesus and his forgiveness, the only time we tell people about his covering our sin, the only time we tell people about the joy and the peace that he offers for eternity, the only time we tell people about what it means to experience an abundant life, a brand new life, changed forever, is at our baptism. Because for many people, it's the most people ever that they will tell that story to. And so whether it was two or 200, for many people, it's the only time they share their story. And I look at the book of Acts chapter 19 and these folks who probably already thought they were good enough with the baptism of John. Like, we, we got it covered. We've repented of our sin. And Paul says, no. Come and identify with the one who has saved you, who has given you new life, who makes you a brand new creation, the scripture says. Identify with him. Tell that story. Tell your story of the power of Jesus to forgive our sin 
to conquer death and to live forever. And so I want you to remember the day you were baptized and think, Lord, how many people can I tell my story to beyond that day? How many can I tell my story to that weren't just there at that moment, but they're in my classroom with me? They're in my office, my neighborhood, my family. Can I tell my story? Should I tell my story? Lord, I will tell my story. I want to challenge you to proclaim your faith beyond baptism. And so that's what these folks did. They began to, to share their story. And Paul continued to share his story. What does he do? He stays in Ephesus for two years, proclaiming and telling the story of Jesus Christ. He taught in the synagogue, reasoning with others, boldly proclaiming, trying to persuade people. We, we, don't, we, we don't like to persuade people. We like to punch them in the nose and say, believe my way. Right? That, that's, that's, we, we're great at that in our culture of trying to scream at people to get them to believe like we do. No, we, Paul persuaded them. He used the scriptures. He used his own story. But amazing thing has happened when we tell our story. When, when you and I faithfully tell others about Jesus, amazing things will happen. I, I'm going to talk a little bit more of this in a minute, but where Ephesus is on the, on the west coast of Turkey, because of his faithfulness and the faithfulness of those 12 plus people, the entire region heard about Jesus. The entire region. When you and I faithfully tell our story, the word will spread. And for those of you that, that don't quite know how big Turkey is, it's 15% bigger than Texas. So a region... 15% bigger than Texas, everyone, Jew and Greek, heard about the name of Jesus because of Paul and some faithful followers who decided to get serious about their faith and go and tell their story. That's pretty amazing. Last week, we talked about Apollos, who went and, and changed the landscape of an entire region bigger than the city of Houston almost single-handedly because the power of the gospel will change lives. Because we're people that have new life in Christ, abundant life. And amazing things will happen when you and I tell our story of Jesus. And so let's see one of those amazing stories, unbelievable stories, and it's what a B-rated horror movie would be made of if they read Acts chapter 19. Let's look at one of those amazing things that happened. Verse 11, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish, Jewish exorcists. Now, wouldn't you like that on your business card? Like itinerant Jewish, I can't even say it, Jewish exorcist, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. That's not a very powerful statement. <laughs> you kind of just look at it. So seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? 
And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them. Now, that's very tame, mastered. He beat the crud out of them is what he did. And overpowered them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That, that's a scene right there. Just imagine that for a moment. Like, th- this is unbelievable what happens in this moment. And then the aftermath, verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. By the way, Ephesus is like a major city at this point. Not a little small town in the backwoods. Hundreds of thousands of people knew about this thing happening. Both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Uh, This little episode is in some ways beyond our comprehension. There's healing. There's aprons and handkerchiefs used to heal people. There's evil spirits. There's spirits beating up young men. Chaos is abounding in this moment. But as Paul encounters this man, as, as these, actually these seven quote-unquote exorcists encounter this man, they, they say some of the right things, right? I adjure you by the name of Jesus that this Paul proclaims. The irony of the statement is they don't have any power. The, these exorcists, they don't have any power. They're calling on somebody else who vouches for somebody else to get these demons to leave the guy. That's not going to help you in in a spiritual battle because our battle is not with flesh and blood. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, we battle a spiritual battle every day, every moment. It's an unseen battle. and, And these men thought they could just walk in and sort of throw a couple of names around and it was going to work. But they had no power And the Spirit says, I know Jesus. Even the enemies of God know who he is. And they know his power. I recognize Paul. Oh, yeah, he's a holy man of God. But I don't know you guys. Who are you again? This is like one of those scenes out of the Geico commercials a few years ago about bad choices. Remember those commercials? where it's these teenagers, young adults in a field, kind of a cornfield type environment. And, and in the distance, there's a convertible that's already running, like it started, the lights are on. And, and over the other side, it's a shed full of chainsaws. And there's a mask chainsaw murderer right there. And they're like, what should we do? And one of them says, there's a car. No, 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 that's a trap. Let's go to the chainsaws. People in scary movies make bad choices. People without Jesus make bad choices. Amen. You, you fight a battle you're ill-equipped for. And that's what the sons of Sceva were doing. They were fighting a battle they were ill-equipped for. 
They didn't have the power of the Lord living in them. They didn't have the spirit of God living in them. And the enemy destroyed them, beat them to a pulp, took all their clothes and ran them out. Can you imagine that happening in your neighborhood for a moment? Like what's that next door app, right? Next door. Like it would be blowing up Facebook. Moms and dads would be all over it. Friends with moms and dads, I mean, would be all over it. And that's what happened in Ephesus. Everybody knew about it. Everybody. And everybody was what? Scared to death. They're scared. They're scared. But one truth remained. The end of verse 17. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. If you don't know exactly what extolled means, it means to magnify. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of spiritual battle, in the midst of, of the enemy of God, in the midst of, of chaos, and we see here magic, and if we had Marvel times, the black arts, you know, like, that's what we see. But there's one name that rises above every other name in every scenario, the name of Jesus. His name is magnified. And as a result of these seven young adults running out of the house, beat up and without clothes, that's why the title of the sermon today was The Naked Exorcists, if you read our weekly newsletter. Because that scene is, is almost unreal for us. But, but look at the result of what happens. The name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, it was magnified. And then what happens in the town? Not to the pagans, not to the Greeks, not to those, the non-believers, no. Look at verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers. So these are people who had made a, a decision to follow Jesus, to receive him as Savior. What did they do? They came confessing and divulging their practices. What were those practices? Magic astrology, little g God worship. What they had done as followers of Jesus Christ, they just sort of stacked Jesus on top of everything else they were doing. Oh, I'm just going to add a little Jesus to the moment and keep on doing what I've always been doing. My life really isn't any different. I'm content with mediocrity. I'm comfortable just with a little Jesus I'm satisfied with some holiness, which really is unholiness. I'm okay to hold on to my old way of life. The, the sin of magic didn't bother them. They came to the same rationalization that some of us come to about our hidden and not so hidden sins. They rationalize it away. And yet in this moment, as we think about these two scenes here where Paul encounters these followers of John and he encounters these men of Sceva, the sons of Sceva and the resulting impact of their failed exorcism. I wonder how we look at our story. 
our life, our testimony, our engagement with the gospel message of Jesus, with our holiness. Whose name do we call on? Do we call on the name of that Jesus who Paul talks about? And we've sort of removed ourselves from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And somehow we're riding the coattails of somebody else's faith. Or somehow we've just sort of tacked Jesus on to our regular good moral living because we're here in southeast Houston where everybody, you know, is God conscious. And we've sort of missed the point. We've missed the point of God's calling on us to follow after him with abandon to proclaim our story wherever we go. And when we do, amazing things happen. And so this passage to me is a little bit of a wake-up call, not just for the church at Ephesus, but also for our church. And when I mean our church, I also mean the Big C Church. Maybe that's way for you guys. The Big C Church. The, the universal church of people who follow after Jesus. They need a wake-up call so they would leave the dead, old life behind. And so much so that it cost them a lot of money. I don't know if you know how much 50,000 pieces of silver is. Most of us, when we think that, we think, oh, a nickel or a quarter, which 50,000 quarters would be a pretty good sum of money. But 50,000 pieces of silver in that day would have represented 50,000 people earning a day's wage. So think about the po- more than the population of friends would, whatever they make in a day is how much money this was. That's a lot of money, a lot of money. They just burned because they were serious about leaving the old way of life, confessing their sin that no longer am I just going to add Jesus to everything else. No, I'm going to be a person of holiness because God's called me that. That's who I am in Jesus. I'm holy and perfect because when God sees me now, he sees Jesus I've been forgiven of my sin, and so I stand clean. So I want to live clean and holy and right. And so what do they do? They publicly confess their sin. They brought it out into town, and they burned all their stuff that represented their sin. They didn't, like, go out back behind the house in their fire pit and say, oh, yeah, okay, nobody will see me, so I can still keep up appearances that I'm holy and true and good. No, they let everybody see. I'm broken. I've messed up. I've I've failed. I'm imperfect. But I desire to walk in holiness. And what was the result of that? The word of the Lord continue to spread. I want to encourage you, church, that That if you and I want to keep moving forward in our faith, confession has to be a part of that. Confessing our sin is going to keep us moving forward in our faith. And the good news for us, the good news for us is that the scripture tells us that God is faithful and just to forgive our sin. And the truth is, he's already forgiven us on the cross, right? Our sin has been paid for once and for all. And so if there's sin in your life that you've confessed and you don't deal with anymore, then don't reconfess that again. It's done. You, you, don't, you don't dig up buried things. You keep them dead. 
But if there's things in your life that you know are not honoring to God, you need to confess those. For some of you, maybe it's greed or pride, selfishness. For some of you, it's you're glued to this thing that we have in our pockets, and this consumes all of you. For some of you, it might be lust. For others, it's alcohol or drugs. For some, your, your eyes wander and, and you can't keep your things on things that are holy. You can't keep your eyes on things that are holy. For, for some of you, it's you like to gossip and you love to tell a story. We, we all have something or some things that the Lord is, is calling us to come and say, here it is, God. I confess it to you because I want to move forward in my faith. I want to be able to tell my story and the story of Jesus because I want to magnify him and him alone. I don't want to magnify myself. And so today our response time is an invitation to you, to everyone. If something I said in these last few moments, you're like, oop, yep, uh, that's me. Or maybe I didn't say your thing, but you know it's keeping you from a healthy relationship with our Savior. I want to invite you to come and confess it. The good news is everybody in this room is as imperfect as you are. All of us are as imperfect as the next. And we get to stand on the grace and mercy of Jesus who calls us to come and confess so that we can live a life that continues to see the word of the Lord spread mightily. What would happen if followers of Jesus Christ live lives of holiness? What would happen? How would our world be different if we could live a life of holiness and tell our story wherever we go? I'm confident our region and our world will be different if we did that. And so I want to pray for you in this moment as our worship team comes up. I want to pray for you. And then as we begin to sing, I want to invite you to come and, and say, Lord, here it is. You join me. Here it is. I confess to you today, this is where I'm falling short. And I trust in your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. I cling to you today. And so let's pray together. Father.